Renegade Broadcasting. Hard-hitting talk radio. And good evening. Uh, this is Tabitha again, and uh, you're listening to another Wild Card Show, and this is the White Wellness Hour. And tonight we're going to be talking about the connection uh, between yoga and nationalism. So some topics we're going to uh, go through tonight are, uh, first we're going to start off with a little bit of uh, current events uh, with a, an ad that was uh, shown during the Super Bowl, a really uh, ridiculous ad for um, a vegan or vegetarian burger. And then we're going to talk about um, more multiculturalism in the organic food world, as well as uh, an article from about a week ago uh, regarding uh, Hitler's wife, Ava Braun. Then we're going to talk about um, why Hitler is not considered a dirty word in India. And then we're going to move on to the main topic, which is yoga and National Socialist Germany. And then if we have time, we're going to... Um, finish with a little bit of information about the gluten-free scam, because I consider uh, that to be a scam, and some great uh, grains that we can add to our diets. And I also just wanted to mention a really cool cookbook that I just got yesterday in the mail. Uh, it's called The Yoga Cookbook, Vegetarian Food for Body and Mind. And the recipes come from the Sivananda uh, Yoga Vedanta Center. And that's S-I-V-A-N-A-N-D-A. So, yeah, a really cool uh, cookbook. Not totally um, uh, vegan or total vegetarian, but uh, a lot of recipes that are mostly plant-based. Okay, so now we're going to start with our first topic, which was uh, this ad that uh, was shown during the Super Bowl on Sunday. It was a Carl's Jr. They're that uh, burger chain that usually has those very... Uh, sexy or provocative ads where a lady is scantily clad and they're eating like a really big, gross burger. Well, for this ad, they were using uh, a multicultural yoga class that took place on a beach setting, and they're selling uh, one of those disgusting uh, burgers with the heme that bleed. I covered that when I did my article uh, on seaweed uh, cannibalism and the color purple. It's like this really nasty veggie burger. So they're shilling this burger along with... Um, yoga and uh, I just wanted to share this little 30 second spot. Uh, they paid five million dollars for this little thing by the way. So I'm just going to have a clip uh, be played of this 30 second commercial. Here we go. Yeah I've seen a lot out here in the west. But a juicy charbroiled burger with a patty made from plants? Only the folks at Carl's Jr. can pull out something that bold. All the legendary flavor None of the meat. When the wagon of change comes, you ride along with it. The new Beyond Famous Star with Cheese. Only at Carl's Jr. where the food is the star. So, yeah, that was the ad. It was really ridiculous. And I saw it covered at uh, three vegan websites, My Vegan Journal article, One Green Planet, and Veg News. And all of these sites are not really health-oriented sites. They're really just people who are, aren't eating uh, certain foods. It's like just generic vegan stuff. On one site, the My Vegan Journal, where I got this clip, uh, the person who runs the blog tells you like what the best vegan hot cocoa with Starbucks is, how to eat vegan at Taco Bell. So this is uh, 
really not healthy stuff. But the thing that bugs me about it is that they're associating uh, people who do yoga with like a burger like this, thinking that there might be a crossover with this audience. And a lot of people are going to think this is a good thing because I, I actually found or got wind of this clip for the first um, time on Facebook. And I saw some people actually like talking about how they thought it was a good thing that it was progressive, which I thought was ridiculous because it's progressive in a way that uh, transgenderism is progressive. It's not a progressive in a, a way that uh, biodynamic farming is progressive. So I thought it was just uh, more propaganda, just more ridiculousness and uh, more of this word vegan just being kind of something that I guess, I don't know, feels like I want to distance myself from any of this, uh, this stuff. I just don't like uh, the way it's being pushed in like this synthetic uh, way. It's just really gross. So I just wanted to share that as our opener. I thought that was really ridiculous. And the other thing that I wanted to share is uh, a company called Earthbound Farm. Probably a lot of you guys are familiar with it already. They make like salad mixes and stuff like that. I got this email from them the other day and uh, it's called the new organic and they're calling it the new normal. And it made me think of um, when Bruce Jenner was referring to himself as the new normal. And in this uh, little infograph, it shows like people wearing like a hijab and uh, all these, all these different head coverings. And they're saying that more mainstream and diverse uh, is the typical organic shopper nowadays. So they're interjecting uh, this multiculturalism into everything, especially uh, the organic movement and the yoga movement. So it's, it's, it's rife in really every single outlet, it feels like. Okay, so moving along to more of the meat of the show, I found this article while I was browsing for information on National Socialist Germany. I happened upon this article about um, Eva Braun. And uh, probably a lot of you are familiar with the rumors that people have mentioned before about uh, Hitler and him having a, a microphallus or a micropenis or him being a hermaphrodite. So now this article is saying that um, Hitler and Eva Braun may have never even had sex in the first place, historian believes. So I just wanted to read this ridiculous um, article and, and kind of how I'm going to tie it in with yoga at the end. So here we go. Ever wonder about the relationship between manacle despot Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun? Probably not something you've cared to dwell on too long, although you might be interested to learn their wedding night probably wasn't too eventual, as one historian thinks he has proof the pair never had sex. In fact, Eva may have never had sex, according to Professor Thomas Mundmark of the University of Hull, who believes she may have suffered from the condition known as Mayer Rotakansky. Kuster-Hauser, or MRKH syndrome. This is a condition that occurs when a baby doesn't properly develop its reproductive system, meaning the child would have little or no uterus and a vaginal canal that could either be short, narrow, or just not there altogether. If the condition isn't treated, it means intercourse can be very painful or near possible, at which point a person may seek out medical attention. Key, the key to Professor Lundmark's theory is that a calendar kept by the wife of Dr. Gustav Schloten, a prominent Nazi gynecologist, worked at Munich's Klink Reich de Isar. On a calendar, Ms. Schulten writes about a call received from the Bergdorf, one of Hitler's prominent residences. It says, telephone, call Bergdorf, trip to Italy from Fuhrer. Thanks for operation, Eva Braun. Okay, not too much going on here, but this seems to suggest that Ava visited Schulten for some kind of gynecological procedure. There's more to the theory, of course. Dr. Schulten didn't live to the end of the war or the death of the Nazi leader, because he means Adolf Hitler, as he died in a car accident in 1944. However, Professor Lundmark was able to track down his son, Gerhard Schulten. Gerhard, who actually passed away since speaking to the professor, said he remembered visiting Italy with his mother, father, courtesy of Hitler. This all kind of sounds like a game of telephone so far to me. Professor Lundmark said, I talked to the son and he told me he was in the hospital in Ava's room, filled with flowers like a flower shop. He was actually there visiting his aunt and his aunt was saying all she, Eva, does is complain the whole day about how much pain she's in. So they're not really being very specific about uh, what type of surgery could occur. And they don't give a year either as to when this happened. 
The operation on Eva was confirmed by her mother, Fanny, during an interview for a biography by the journalist Narangoon, which was published in 1968. She was operated on for a narrow vagina, says Professor Lundmark. So I started asking around, what the heck could this be? And I ended up talking to a surgeon at the Munster University Hospital, one of the most prestigious hospitals in Germany. The doctor confirmed what the professor was describing as MRKH, which only affects one in 5,000 girls. So this is a very rare condition. The evidence that she didn't have sex with Hitler also comes from the memoirs of the Nazi diplomat Eugene Dolman, who says during a trip to Rome that Eva confessed she didn't have physical intimacy. According to Dolman, she said, mission, mission, mission is all he knows. The very idea of physical contact would mean contamination of his mission. Many times watching the sunrise together, he has confessed to me that he can only love Germany. This just sounds, I don't know, it's kind of made up. The youth of Germany who look to him at his example should have, been, should have to be disappointed by sordid love stories for they would lose trust for the cause. Pretty compelling case. And I thought that was another uh, ridiculous article. And also it got me thinking of that picture that I had posted in the chat like a couple of weeks ago of uh, Ava Braun doing chakrasana or a uh, wheel pose. And I'm wondering if someone uh, had had that type of surgery, how could they do that pose? Like, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't really fit together. It just seems like more slander. So I just kind of found this while I was browsing. So I thought it was something that was uh, just important to show that they're just kind of upping the slander uh, in all areas. Okay, so moving on, I found another interesting article. Uh, and this article was about um, why Hitler isn't a dirty word in India. And I thought this was just a really interesting perspective uh, because we're also gonna be talking about um, the connection between yoga and nationalism and some Hindu nationalists tonight. So I thought this was another interesting article that I could share with everybody. Okay, from coffee mugs to laptop cases to ice cream and artwork, everything sells in the, in the Fuhrer's name in India. Last month, a Delhi-based publisher grabbed headlines when it released a children's book titled Great Leaders and put Adolf Hitler on the cover. Last week, BJP leader, I'm not sure what BJP means, leader Chandra Kumar Bose, who was also the grandnephew of Suhas Chandra Bose, pitted Jawaharlal Nehru against the National Socialist leader and declared Nehru as a traitor and Hitler as a nationalist who never betrayed his nation. Clearly, the man much of his world, clearly the man much of his world views as a monster isn't reviled in India. So India doesn't get the hollow hoax propaganda that, um, that we get. In fact, Hitler is big here. In his 1925 autobiography, Mein Kampf, has been a bestseller since it was first published here in 1928. Indian management studies scour it for leadership lessons. SlideShare has presentations and Quora features questions on it, but that's not all. An ice cream brand in North India is called Hitler. A Mumbai cafe and an Ahmedabad apparel store were also named after him, though bad press led to a name change. Hitler's name sells scores of products on e-commerce sites such as Amazon and Flipkart, coffee mugs, swastika and Hitler posters, laptop casings, motorcycle helmets like the Stahlhelm worn by the Hitler troops, t-shirts, cardigans, coasters, spike busters, extension cords, locks, iPhone covers, jewelry boxes, and lamp stands. Colorpour, an online platform for designer artworks, has three types of Hitler merchandise. Its COO says, we're just a platform. We don't design anything ourselves and we don't make any moralistic judgments unless the course is absolutely controversial. We don't tell anyone to create or not to create anything. Aligars Ishak Ahmed, owner of the Hitler Locks Enterprise says it was the name's popularity that worked for him. Back in 1989, when we started the company, there were so many lock makers here. To stand out, we had to find a name that would stand out. Hitler was the perfect choice. There had been no dictator like Hitler, so nobody can forget that name, Ahmad says. But is he aware of Hitler's misdeeds? Yes, but we have nothing to do with that, he says. I don't know what that really means, what they know about, because they don't get the programming that we do. In many developed countries like France and Austria, displaying Nazi memorabilia is a punishable offense. Not in India, where Hitler has always been a fascinating figure. Historians attribute this to ignorance about the Third Reich, translation, less programming, and Indians' physical and emotional disconnect from the Holocaust. 
translation, less programming. Over the decades, Hitler became a soft purgative used for strict teachers, bosses, and even family patriarchs. Romantic soaps showed boyfriends flirtatiously calling Lady Love Hitler-like. A TV serial on a rather strict woman was called Hitler Diddy, where the all-time super hit Cholet had an overblown caricature of Hitler in the form of a strict jailer. These representations have made Hitler more acceptable and even cute in India. Historians say this isn't entirely harmless. A professor of the University of Delhi says Indians have been influenced by fascism since the 1930s. I think they use fascism in a lot of these articles I found um, for national socialism. That's what it seemed like to me. Especially upper caste Indians who believe that they are Aryan cousins of the Germans. In India, the anti-Semitism of Germany was replaced by the anti-Muslim and anti-Christian prejudices. Compared to with Britain or the US, India has a new nation state with multiple problems. Insecure people who internalize a feeling of having been historically wronged are vulnerable to fascism. Okay, more hogwash. He says most Indians admire Hitler without knowing much about him. The average Hitler t-shirt wearing Indian hasn't even heard of the Holocaust. The steady failure of the Indian state over the last 30 years has discredited democracy in the country and strengthened the popular appeal of what the historian calls grassroots fascism. I guess that would mean organic national socialism. But the Hitler cult also exists because certain nationalists believe he was um, as great as Bose, who had allied with him and even raised an Indian army in Germany called the Freyus Indian Legion. Historian Benjamin Zachariah says the fantasy of Hindus as Aryans appealed to a lot of upper caste Indians in the 19th century. The Nazi model of all organizations under the control of one party and one leader is appealing one, an appealing one, and the depiction of Hitler as a German patriot serves that purpose, Zachariah says. Well, I think that makes sense because uh, what the National Socialists and yoga and what the modern day Indians want are pretty much all the same structure of national socialism. So that all makes good sense. The historian says there is a slightly different take. In India, we're so thoroughly colonized that our elite look to European forms, whether democracy or fascism. But fascism is compatible with capitalism, unlike socialist authoritarianism. Perhaps that's why it appeals more. Okay, so that was just something that I thought was a little interesting because uh, they have a completely different relationship than we do. And they are living in the land where I believe with all the connections with yoga, with it being such an ancient art, where a lot of, uh, you know, the root of all the, uh, the Aryan beliefs come from. So I think that was a really interesting uh, combination. So next I want to talk about um, the connection between um, yoga and the Third Reich. And keep in mind with most of these articles that I found, they're being told in um, a way that it was, uh, you know, terrible people doing yoga. So I really had to sift my way through a lot of these articles to kind of find, you know, bits of truth inside of it and then be able to go from there because they're, they're all being told in like a slanderous tone. Okay, so this one comes from the Daily Mail. And it's a little ridiculous, but uh, I can translate some of it while I read it. Okay, it says, V have ways of making you relax. How SS recommended yoga to death camp guards as a way to de-stress. So there's a lot of ridiculousness and propaganda in it, of course, but I'll help flip through it. A German historian has discovered how the SS in Nazi Germany recommended its members, including death camp guards, to practice yoga to enrich their body, mind, and spirit. Now, keep in mind when they're saying yoga, they're not just meaning asana. They're not just meaning, you know, downward facing dog and like spinal twist. They're talking about um, more ideological aspects of yoga, more philosophical aspects of yoga, as opposed to um, movement of the body. The first ever book probing the Third Reich's fascination with the ancient discipline intended to attain perfect spiritual insight and tranquility was published this week, entitled Yoga in National Socialism by historian and yoga expert Matthias Tiki. Now this book, as far as I know, is only available in German, and this guy is um, not a fan of Hitler. He tries to justify what he thinks happened and blend it together with um, 
yoga, which is, doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I can pull the, the stuff out of it that does. It shows how SS overlord Heinrich Himmler was fascinated with the discipline and perverted it and its ancient roots into a philosophy to justify the Holocaust. So that's not true, obviously. Uh, Heinrich Himmler was more of uh, interested in the spiritual spirituality of yoga as opposed to the asana. Supposedly, he carried around a copy of um, the Bhagavad Gita, which is uh, an ancient um, Indian book. And uh, I believe some have said that. Uh, Hitler was Krishna and that uh, Hess was uh, the other one. Uh, I think Krishna and yeah, it'll come to me in a second. Uh, yeah, but anyway, whoever thinks about yoga, said the author, thinks of people sitting in lotus position, greeting the sun in order to reduce the stress of everyday life. So again, they're trying to paint that um, picture of people just doing asana. Uh, Hess was uh, Arjuna, so Krishna, Hitler, Avatar, and then um, Hess, Arjuna. And there are two characters who are in the Bhagavad Gita, which was the book that Henry Himmler would carry around. It is associated with mental equilibrium, the search for wisdom and inner peace, and is not considered to be about force or persecution. So again, working in all that's about force or persecution, wisdom, inner peace, again, ridiculousness. Never, there is also a side, there is also this side to the history of yoga. And then they show a picture of a bunch of SS officers outside of um, what they're saying is a Belzic death camp in Poland in 1942. And they're basically saying that they could have done with some relaxing yoga after the horror they inflicted on their innocent victims. Now, what they're trying to say is that uh, these people were doing a sauna to relax between the gassings, which sounds, sounds ridiculous. Uh, what the connection between yoga and national socialism really is, is uh, the Third Reich reconnecting with the spiritual Aryan roots of yoga as an, as an ideology, as well as it being an asana, but mainly an ideology. When they're talking about um, yoga and the Third Reich, it's mainly in the form of yogic philosophy. Tietke, that's the author, plowed through thousands of Third Reich documents to chronicle the history of the most peaceful the most peaceful of pursuits in the time of the savagery of nazism so again giving that huge duality which is made up the nazi interest in yoga lay its roots in the 19th century when indian mysticism was a favorite pursuit of the middle and upper classes and a great influence on romantic poets and philosophers as well as a book he is planning an exhibition in berlin later this year in the gestapo museum called the topography of terror during the Weimar Republic, as the Nazis gained strength, yoga enjoyed a boom among a people weary of war, inflation, unemployment, and misery. And around this time, more than 50 yoga books were published in the 1920s in Berlin alone. And as the Nazis corrupted most things, they so they did with yoga as well. Obviously not true. We talked last week about who has been perverting and corrupting yoga. Uh, it's the Jews. It was seized by, a, by race experts. I don't know who these race ex experts were. It was seized by race experts in the party as being the pursuit of Aryan people. Jacob Wilhelm Hauer, an SS captain and yoga ex expert who influenced his chief Himmler and convinced him that yoga can internally arm us and prepare us for the forthcoming battles. Well, that's definitely true. I think yoga can prepare all of us for um, just everything from everyday life uh, to the future. So I think it's uh, an important tool. Think about how athletes use it before uh, events. In 1937, four years after the Nazis attained power, the country's first yoga center opened up in Berlin and operated until it was destroyed by Allied bombs in 1943. We could thank the Jews for that one, right? The teacher who ran it had its disciples in 50 German towns and cities. Himmler, obsessed as he was with hocus-pocus race theories and mysticism related to his SS Superman, carried around a German copy of the Bhagavad Gita with him wherever he went. Well, just because he's carrying around that copy, they're likening it to propaganda. He regarded the ancient Sanskrit epic as being a blueprint for cruelty and terror, using it, said Tiki, to ultimately justify the Holocaust. Again, just sounds really ridiculous. He wrote, he identified himself and the SS with the old Kastraya caste 
and its publicized attitude of unscrupulous killing for one's higher purpose. And from what I can see, that's not what that's about. That's just about a caste system, which still exists from what I can understand to some extent uh, today. Uh, so then again, they're just like, you know, putting, putting words together uh, that make everyone look very different than they really are. Tiki says Himmler's attitude to quote karma was never better displayed than at the secret speech he made to senior SS men at Ponzen in 1943 when he spoke of the noble, virtuous work of his butchers were performing to eliminate the Jews of Europe and Russia. Yeah, I don't think that has anything to do with karma because that didn't happen. Himmler was also interested in other early Indian writings, Indian religious writings of India, including the Rig Veda, and like we mentioned in last week's show, um, that's attributed to our people. That's uh, Yoga, Tantra, and Ayurveda are the three books of the Rig Veda. Uh, the Rig Veda also contains the mythology of the Hindu gods. These, those, these celebrated the racism of Aryan immigrating from Central Asia to India killing and a driving out of the designated inferior opponents, says Tiki. Well, that sounds like probably the opposite happened, just like what happened uh, with our people here in uh, America with the Emmer Indians. So again, little tidbits of uh, truth in there. And you can see that yoga was something that was very popular in Germany for good reason, because it unites people. Uh, but of course, this uh, article had a lot of propaganda inside of it. And I was thinking about this too, um, that in a way, um, yoga and nationalism would seem like two things that really don't go well together, but uh, they really do because yoga means union or yoke in Sanskrit and nationalism uh, is basically your race. So union and race are, you know, kind of very much the same thing. So they really do go together quite well. That's why I think they've done such a job at muddying up yoga and continue to do so even more as it becomes uh, more popular. So that's why I'm kind of following these things and I've gotten more interest in it because I'm seeing just what's going on as I delve deeper into these topics uh, on my own. Uh, we're coming up to a break. If anyone would like to call in, this is a live show. So please feel free to um, phone in if you'd like to uh, ask any questions or have anything uh, you'd like to add. Uh, and we will uh, continue with some more information when they get back. You risked your life for this country when you were young. Never questioned orders that they gave. Because the love of the red and white and blue was in your heart. And I never thought I'd ever see you today. care products? Do you even know what those chemicals are? You should. Everything you put onto your body ends up getting into your body, so you better be sure that you are using quality products every day. We know it's often hard to find really good natural products, and when you do find them, they're often very expensive. That's why we have Heathen Herbs. Give us a try. We have affordable herbal tinctures, tooth powder, deodorant, muscle saps, creams, beeswax, cling wrap, gift baskets, magnesium, iodine, throat spray, face spray, hairspray, cleaning spray, bug spray, linen spray, and so much more. We're coming out with new products all the time so that you can replace all the corporate crap. Use coupon code RENEGADE for 10% off everything at HeathenHerbs.com.
And we're back. And we are talking about uh, yoga and the connection to nationalism. So as we were going to a break, I was talking about how yoga and nationalism are have more in common and have more connections uh, than we would think. Uh, on the surface, we usually see yoga being marketed more as kind of like a, a leftist type of um, movement, I guess you'd say, for the most part. But uh, I would say it's actually very national socialistic because it really means a union. And union is all about, um, I would say, nationalism and race are really good forms of union because you want union with your own people. So if anything, I would say that anyone who does any type of work like, uh, you know, spreading the word of what's going on or, you know, doing anything in, in the name of their race, that that in my eyes would be considered um, what's called bhakti yoga. Uh, bhakti is a yoga of um, devotion or love. So I would say that anyone who's doing um, some type of service to their race is doing um, bhakti yoga because it's an act of, of love or devotion. And racialism, I would say, is the ultimate form of bhakti yoga. And it's that's a direct inversion of what we're always um, told with uh, the word racism. So I just thought that was an interesting thing that, uh, especially people in the yoga movement, they're always the type of people who would like claim that somebody was a racist. They're like, because they're just such multiculturalists. It's like, but it's it's the when you get to the truth, the real core uh, of it, it's the exact opposite. So I thought that was just something uh, an interesting thought that I had that I thought I would share. So now I want to go on to another article that I have um, called the Yoga Nazi Connection. Uh, again, a lot of filled with a lot of um, you know, propaganda and filth, et cetera, but uh, some good information as well. And this is written by a guy called uh, Dave Emery. I had not heard of him before. Um, he is an American talk radio host. He's an anti-fascist, uh, born in New York City, lives in San Francisco. Uh, he has a radio show where he tries to uncover neo-fascism and neo-Nazism. Uh, one of his claims is that the Bush family was connected to the Third Reich, and he believes that an underground Reich is running the world. So, yeah. So I'm going to start uh, this article, and it's going to go on with the information about um, yoga, national socialism, as well as um, a Hindu nationalist, a guy who's um, currently living, who's um, a yogi and a Hindu nationalist. So here we go. It's called the Yoga Nazi Connection. Okay. In these programs, we will revisit the subject of Hindu, um, Hind, Hindutva, and Hindutva is Indian nationalism. Detailing an important article about Baba Ramdev. He is a Hindu Vita fascist, yoga guru, health food business entrepreneur, and pillar of political and economic support for uh, Naradras, Modi, BJP, and RSS. I'm not sure what that is. In those programs, we will look at Ramdev's harnessing of the discipline of yoga to both garner wealth and popularity and to propagate a mythologized political ideology, which, like many fascist doctrines, incorporates an idealized and never truly existent past and need to cleanse contemporary society of corrupting influences. Well, I agree that we should cleanse society of corrupting influences. I think a lot of people uh, would agree with me there. In addition to promoting yoga's well-documented fitness beliefs, Ramdev presents yoga as a vehicle for reconnecting Indians with their mythic past. Well, I would say that would be reconnecting um, whites with their mythic past. In fact, the discipline is rooted in more recent and European-imported culture. That's what they're saying. This narrative about yoga's ancient roots has become a sacrament for Hindu nationalists. It is echoed in the West. In fact, a significant contribution to the contemporary yoga discipline was made by Danish Nazi sympathizer Niels Buch. And I'm not sure how much of this is true, but I thought it was just kind of interesting. I'm not sure. They're saying that um, dozens of modern Ashtanga yoga postures are similar or identical to those found in the gymnastic routine introduced to India by the British in the first decades of the 20th century and originally developed by a Danish fitness instructor named Niels Buch, who later became notorious for his pro-Nazi sympathies. Now, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. It's possible that he um, put a bunch of postures together that became popular. Uh, more on Niels Buch. His, his system of exercise became highly popular in Germany, and in 1933, Buch 
publicly expressed his allegiance to the National Socialist cause and its aim of improving the health of the Aryan German race through gymnastics. Yoga's popularity in Weimar, Germany, translated into an affinity for the discipline expressed by Nazi SS chief Heinrich Himmler, who saw the physical regimen as an extension of the ancient Aryan past of India. That mythical Aryan past also became part of the SS and Nazi atavistic occult ideology. Yoga was recommended to death camp guards in Nazi Germany, but that's exactly what historian and expert Matthias Tiki found when he researched his book, like we said before, Yoga in National Socialism. Okay, more about the um, SS yoga connections. Okay, yoga was promoted also by Parahamsansa Yogananda, and he's a rather famous um, yogi. He was a contemporary of Hitler. I think he was born within a couple of years of Hitler. Uh, and he was really the first um, Indian yogi that, that came to the West. He is the author of Autobiography of a Yogi. It's a pretty um, popular and well-known um, yoga book. He also is considered a fascist by this uh, article. The yoga influence on Nazism and Hindu Vata fascism should not be misconstrued as casting aspirations on the disciplines or, or its many adherents on the, with the onus of totalitarian ideology. I think they're getting that all mixed up using fascism as opposed to national socialism and totalitarianism as opposed to authoritarianism. And this is more about uh, Baba Ramdev. This is the guy that they were talking about in the beginning. Uh, the one who is uh, a modern-day uh, yogi, as well as a health food business entrepreneur and a Hinduta uh, fascist. This is what he says. This is my basic and ultimate mission, he said, speaking in a strongly accented English. I want a healthy, wealthy, prosperous, and peaceful person, society, and nation. So that's what he wants. He seems like he has a lot of followers, too, uh, in India, from what I can um, understand. So this guy is um, he's pretty popular. And this is what he has to say um, about homosexuality, because in most um, yogic circles now, with the way it is, with yoga becoming very multicultural and very LGBTP, like you learned last week about all that uh, yoga degeneracy, in a real yoga tradition, they they wouldn't um, they would tell you that it was not something that was healthy and not something that was going to be promoted. So here is what he has to say. Of course, Newsweek magazine says that he detests gays. That's how they put it. But um, he basically says that it's not natural and that it can be treated. And he says that homosexual sex is against Vedic culture and that he considers it unnatural and a mental disorder and that it's a bad habit and that many people acquire bad habits and get addicted to them. He also stated that homosexuality could be cured using yoga, pranayama, and other meditation techniques. So this is again kind of exactly against uh, the you know the mainstream view of yoga being something that accepts everything. Dozens of modern Ashtanga yoga postures are similar or identical to the ones uh, of Danish fitness instructor Niels book, like we said before. This is this article is very um, poorly organized. Now this guy, this um, gymnast, this Danish gymnast, uh, his system of exercise became popular in 1933. Uh, this made him unpopular in Denmark because he was a, a supporter of Hitler. And uh, then something came out that this guy was a homosexual, but um, the National Socialists did not know that when they adopted his um, fitness plan. Okay, just moving on. This article, like I said, is really kind of a, a lot of stuff. Okay. Okay, so a little bit more on Yogananda. Yogananda, like I said, uh, author of Autobiography of a Yogi, the first Hindu teacher to spend the majority of his time in the U.S. Here are some um, quotes from Yogananda, and they're saying that Yogananda was a, a fascist. The average man cannot think clearly. He needs the mastermind of a dictator in order to think right and do right. A master brain like that of Mussolini does more good than millions of social organizations of group intelligence. When the heart is full of, the mouth overflows with. Those were just three quotes from him. Yogananda also toured um, Germany and he tried to have an interview with Hitler, but um, supposedly Hitler 
uh, declined this interview. I'm not sure how true that is, but it's just interesting because it seems like they kind of shared uh, many similar uh, outlooks and beliefs. So that's really it that I could find on um, this with uh, Yoga and National Socialist Germany. I did find other stuff about on this website called Fascist Yoga, where they had like uh, stuff about Julius Evola and people like that associated with yoga, but I didn't really find that uh, to be pertinent. So I didn't uh, add that to the discussion. So that's really, like I said, all I could find on that topic. And uh, there seems to be a, a huge connection, more than I think I could possibly find now or more that we might know about this connection between uh, yoga and um, National Socialism or yoga just in, in Germany during the National Socialist time. But it's a very fascinating, uh, very fascinating topic. And it's interesting to see that many German people were engaged in the actual asana of yoga as well. Now, there's one more thing I wanted to share that I found uh, about Hitler, and this um, kind of relates to mudra. And we've talked to mudra about mudra about we've talked about mudra before. Mudra is the hand um, gestures that people make um, when they do yoga, and this information came from uh, Yogi Bhajan. He was the yogi that uh, brought Kundalini yoga to uh, the West or this country in 1969, and uh, this is just really weird. I don't agree with this, but this is his reasoning for why Germany lost the war, and it has to do with um, the angle of the Zieg Heil and the lack of Gyan Mudra. So I just thought it was a really bizarre uh, article. I've never seen anything like this before, so I figured it was, uh, it was worth reading. I want to tell you today how Hitler made Germany the way he made it and what Kriya he used. Kriya is exercise. And why he was wrong, for what reason that today you are what you are. Is it surprising? That happens to be a course today. Luckily, I didn't make it up. You know, he used this Heil Hitler. You remember that, do you? Now, this is not a joke. This is not a joke. And I want to show you what this actually means to you. I mean, energy is energy. You can use it for bad purpose or good purpose. That doesn't make a difference. I mean, he used it for a good purpose or bad purpose. He knows. It's not my problem. But I'm just telling you, what the science is. You will be so surprised to understand within your body is such energy. It can elevate you. Germany was not a very organized nation. He wanted to organize it. His reasons were political. He went deep into the scriptures and he found out the answer. 60 degree straight angle, five tattvas into the armpit. And tattvas in Sanskrit means truth. And the tattvas are earth, air, fire, water, and ether. So 60 degrees straight angle, five tattvas into the armpit. Where is the center of all three nerves? Heil Hitler, you know? But you know what that does? Some does this, some does this. You know they all use one thing or another. Or we shake hands. You know why we shake hands? To neutralize the other person. You know what the secret salute of the Chinese is? Their body symbols are more strong, but if you just follow the mental strength, you can change all unhappiness to happiness. That's all it takes. So he's saying, that basically you have to take the right hand and shake it and follow it correctly to the letter. That will be the best. Don't go on or against. Don't become judgmental. And he's saying that um, since Hitler didn't engage in Gyan Mudra, like I said, which is the uh, Mudra where you put the thumb to the um, forefinger, that's why Germany lost the war, which I think is uh, really ridiculous <laughs> and just really, I don't know, kind of an insane thing to say because it really makes no sense. I just thought that was something that was worth sharing because I had never seen any, anyone say anything like that before. There actually is this Kudalini meditation called Meditation to Remember the Heavens, where you sit in what they call easy pose or swastikasana because your uh, legs end up looking like a swastika and you put your hand up in the air like a zikhail and that uh, meditation is supposed to remember the heavens. But I get the feeling from Yogi Bhajan is a very popular person in the Kundalini movement. A lot of people say that um, the branch of Kundalini or the style that, that people follow is like a Yogi Bhajan cult. He's one of the most popular yogis out there, not living anymore. But like I said, he brought yoga to the West, the Kundalini yoga. So a lot of his stuff, I don't know. I'm thinking that there's some information in there that's not so true, but there's a lot of good information too. And it takes a seasoned eye to... Uh, to sift through it. But this is obviously bogus, this information. So that's that. Okay. 
So we have about 15 or a little bit less left. So that's all I could find on um, the topic of National Socialism and Yoga. And I wanted to finish off um, with some information about um, gluten, because gluten is something that gets a terrible reputation. Uh, I think most people know it's glyphosate or um, genetically modified organisms, which is uh, the real reason that people are having so many gluten allergies. So this is an article that I found a little while ago. Uh, it's called Eat Wheat Again. Eight Ways to Restore Gut Health, and it's written by a man called John Dulyard, who is um, an Ayurvedic um, doctor or practitioner. Okay. The New York University Langone Medical Center recently reported that 74% of Americans experience some form of digestive distress. A quarter are obese, and more than 100 million U.S. adults are pre-diabetic and don't know it. While many blame such problems on eating wheat, some food scientists disagree, including those citing two major studies by Harvard researchers. Following more than 100,000 people for 25 years, they concluded that those eating the most wheat compared to the low-gluten folks had 13% lower diabetes risk and no great risk of heart disease. While the standard American diet, which likely includes highly processed wheat, is like responsible for many of these health concerns, Plenty of science links a diet rich in whole grains, including whole wheat, to weight loss, better digestion, and lower blood sugar. The Mediterranean diet, replete with whole grains, whole grains and wheat, is still revered as one of the healthiest known diets. Centarians that lived in the famed blue zones, recognized for their longevity, enhancing environments and lifestyles, eat a non-processed, whole food diet rich in whole grains and wheat. Many Americans that are gluten-sensitive today digested wheat just fine when they were young. At some point, our ability to digest foods that are a bit hard to digest, like wheat and dairy, become compromised. It's possible to reboot. So now they go on in the article about some ways that you can um, reboot your digestive tract so you can um, enjoy um, eating wheat. And I would only recommend that people eat organic wheat because it tends to be a very, very polluted crop. Uh, so really try to source out organic wheat if you can. So here are the tips to um, restore your gut health and eat wheat again. Delete processed foods. The first step toward reestablishing digestive strength is avoiding all processed foods. A study in the journal Diabetes Care linked a processed food diet to a 141% increase in belly fat, high blood sugar, and high cholesterol. It further showed that a diet of whole grains, including wheat, reduced the risk of these health concerns by 38%. Monitor these ingredients to achieve a healthier diet. And here are the tips. Avoid all added sugars or artificial sweeteners. Allow nothing more than six grams of naturally occurring sugar per serving. Avoid fried foods and baked goods made with refined cooking oils used to preserve them, like bread, muffins, cookie, energy bars, and most packaged foods and chips. Eat bread that's only made with organic whole wheat, salt, water, and starter. <clears throat> okay, restore liver and gallbladder function. Highly processed vegetable oils are used as preservatives in most packaged foods, including bread. Processing these oils renders them indigestible. Linked to congestion of the liver and gallbladder, they disable liver bile so it cannot break down either good or bad fats, also making it insufficient to buffer stomach acid. Without adequate bile production to neutralize stomach acid, the stomach won't produce the needed acid to digest proteins like gluten and the casein in dairy. This malady has effect affected a huge spike in gallbladder surgeries and an epidemic level of obesity high blood sugar, and food intolerances. To boost the flow of bile, enjoy these foods daily. Eat one red beet and one apple a day, either raw, cooked, juiced, or blended. Add celery to make a bile flow smoothie. Consume one teaspoon of coconut oil or high-quality olive oil per day. I would recommend more whole food source if possible, maybe like a coconut butter or coconut mana or um, dried coconut or young coconut. And uh, for olive, I'd recommend uh, olives like raw olives, like raw Peruvian olives or a tiny bit of raw olive oil. Uh, eat more artichokes, bitter roots, and leafy greens. And drink fennel and fenugreek tea with meals. Strengthen digestive fire. 
Instead of taking digestive enzymes or a hydrochloric acid-based stomach pill, stimulate the stomach to make its own acid and the small intestine and pancreas to produce digestive enzymes. This is best done regularly with the following spices. Use ginger, cumin, coriander, cardamom, and fennel. Studies published in journals such as Molecular Nutrition and Food Research and the Journal of Nutritional Biochemistry suggest that when these five spices are used together as a supplement in cooking or to flavor food, they act as a total upper digestive reset. These five-star spices do the, five, the four following things. Stimulate digestion, increase bile flow, pancreatic and small intestine enzyme activity, and fat and sugar metabolism. Decrease H. pylori, an opportunistic acid-producing microbe from adhering to the stomach. Decrease gas and bloating. And they also support optimal weight, microbiology health, growth of good gut bacteria, and elimination. And they act as powerful free radical scavengers. So if you follow these simple steps, delete processed foods, restore the function of the liver and the gallbladder, and strengthen the spire of the stomach, uh, this will let you digest wheat again. So really it's just about not eating crap, making sure your organs function properly, and um, giving your digestive system some extra fire with uh, the spices, ginger, cumin, coriander, cardamom, and fennel. And uh, those are all good seasonings that could be used in a multitude of dishes. I like to chew on the cardamom seeds sometimes uh, after dinner, just as like a, a way to just kind of transition into having a different taste. And uh, it's really good because I believe it's, uh, I think it's antibacterial. So it's, it's good for like the teeth and stuff. I actually will make a, a sea salt uh, mouth rinse using cardamom oil as well as uh, pink sea salt and uh, filtered water. And that's just like my mouthwash. I would never go near uh, anything in the store. Uh, yeah, so it looks like we're almost coming to a close. And I wanted to say um, about gluten-free, I think this is totally like a manufactured like PSYOP for sure. I think it's uh, directly, uh, you know, with doing it to grains that tend to be native European grains for the most part, which are the gluten grains, and those are wheat, barley, and rye, and all of those grains are native to our people. So I think that there's a link between the poisoning of native European grains and um, poisoning of the well. I think the same people might be involved perhaps. Uh, in an effort to launch this billion-dollar industry, because that's what the gluten-free industry has become. It's like a gluten, it's a billion-dollar industry. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I think it's also divorcing us from the foods that we need, that our, our blood thrives on. Uh, so instead of giving up these sacred foods that we've been eating for a really long time, we need to reclaim them and just eat them in the healthiest way. That's what I would say. I, I bought into that gluten-free uh, scam a little bit myself uh, for a while, but uh, I realize now that uh, it was zogwash, so I'm no longer doing that. So the last thing I'm going to share uh, is a basic Ayurvedic routine. This is a basic daily routine. This is good for any um, dosha. The doshas are the um, different constitutions of the body. So this is good for any person. Uh, so here we go morning routine. You want to keep a regular schedule uh, and wake up every day around the same time. And when you wake up, this is um, a good morning routine to do. First, you want to scrape your tongue with a tongue scraper. And if you scrape your tongue back far enough uh, until your eyes water a little bit, according to Kundalini um, Yoga, that will uh, prevent cataracts or glaucoma. So that's good for your sight. Then you want to brush your teeth, um, possibly with something that contains neem or licorice, because those are astringent qualities or, or have astringent qualities. Then you want to drink a glass of warm water to awaken your digestive tracts. Then you want to pull with oil, using warm sesame oil. That's traditional. Some people use coconut oil. I like the sesame. And then you want to rinse your mouth and face and eyes with cool water to rejuvenate your face. Then you want to eliminate, you want to um, go to the bathroom and um, you know, um, have a bowel movement. Then you want to give yourself a self-massage where um, you massage yourself with warm oil to promote healthy circulation. If you don't have time to do your whole body, you can just do your feet. And you can also do a little bit of uh, warm sesame oil in your ear as well um, as your nose, which will um, 
also keep those areas uh, nicely lubricated for yourself. Also a scalp massage is a nice thing to do too if you have time with the oil. And then you take a shower where you wash the oil uh, off and the skin gets really soft because you put the oil first and then you take the shower afterwards. And in uh, some uh, Ayurvedic or yogic practices, they recommend uh, taking a cold shower. I will talk more about that technique uh, at a later point. And then you want to engage in some type of um, yoga or breathing after you take the shower. And then you want to stick to eating um, regular meals. You want to have um, regular meals at regular times and have your largest meal at noon. That is considered the best in Ayurveda. I don't always do that depending on my schedule. And then you also want to keep a regular bedtime, just like you want to keep a regular wake-up time. And you also want to um, promote healthy sleep. And a good way to promote healthy sleep is to have a warm bath in the evening, uh, have a warm glass of milk. That could be any milk of your choice with nutmeg and cardamom added, or take um, an herbal sleep uh, supplement. Those are some Ayurvedic uh, tips for kind of keeping a daily routine because eating a healthy diet is important, important but you also want to make sure you have a, a good routine that supports your healthy uh, diet. So it looks like we're almost at the end of the show. I hope everyone uh, enjoyed tonight's content and learned something. Uh, yeah. If anyone uh, has any comments or questions, let me know. I'm happy to answer any questions about anything, especially yoga or food. And uh, yeah, that was a good show. Okay. So everyone should just try to cook and uh, take it uh, little baby steps with diet and things like that. Just to keep on trying new things and keep on trying uh, you know, new new yoga poses and things like that. And the more you do something, the more your body will adjust to doing the habits. And I think you, you really enjoy the mental and physical uh, blend of focus and the unity that you'll get from it. I know I do. And uh, I hope others are able to experience that as well. Yes. Thank you. sick of hearing all the same old commercials on Renegade Broadcasting? Ugh, I have heard this damn Noel Ignatieff clip six million times. I get it already. Well, we need your help to create new, exciting, and enlightening content for our breaks. Find yourself a decent microphone or borrow one from somebody else. Look up some royalty-free music or let us do it for you. Just get creative. Make the commercials 40 seconds long to fit our schedule. Winners will have their commercials played on the air and also receive some great prizes. For more details, please go to renegadebroadcasting.com backslash contest. Dal tuo sguardo e bagnerò la terra arsa del tuo cuore sveglierò e sentimenti che assopiti si nascondono dipingerò sulle tue labbra quel sorriso che non hai insegnerò a ancora e scoprirai che l'appetito della vita lentamente 
करने 